0: you can open to Luke's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 1, verses 26 through 35, and the text is printed in the bulletin for you also. Uh, We're starting a series now on the Holy Spirit. We're going to take seven weeks to look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Um, It's, uh, as I I mentioned last night at the men's retreat, uh, it's it's pretty hard to know where to start when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit. It seems like... um, there's little bits and pieces of information, little data points all throughout the New Testament especially that you really kind of have to get those. You have to mine those data points and you know, then figure out how to put them all together in a coherent uh, pattern to create like a picture of who the Spirit is and how he works and what he's doing in the world and in our hearts. Um, so it is, it's kind of hard to know exactly where to start when talking about the Holy Spirit um, you, you would probably do well to go find a systematic theology book. Uh, I don't know if you have one. Uh, I can give you recommendations or whatever, but where they start off uh, kind of with at least the historical uh, process of the church, figuring out that, oh, the Holy Spirit, he's actually a person. And uh, the Holy Spirit, he's actually God himself. And what does that mean? There's one God and three persons. and trying to figure all that out. Um, but uh, there are good books out there that, Kind of run through all the scriptures that have to do with the Holy Spirit and figuring out why we think about Him the way that we do. Um, if you need recommendations on that, let me know. But uh, we are going to start with where the Spirit begins in a in a real sense His His work in the um, the life in and through the life of the incarnate Son of God in, in and through the life of Jesus Christ, and He starts right at the conception. Right, it's as we say in our in our creed that uh, Jesus Christ, whom we believe in, was uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So that's the the very first point at which the Spirit begins to work with now the man, uh, Jesus Christ. That's a big deal for us, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me pray, then I'll read the Scripture. Father, we pray that you would send your Spirit now to fill our hearts to transform our minds, to renew us and change us from the inside out, to make us receptive to your word, to grant us uh, the full assurance of faith, especially to make Jesus and yourself uh, known to us. We pray for your spirit's work now in Jesus' name. Amen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Praise be to you, O Christ. So uh, I think we've, we've looked at this text a couple times over the years, you, you know, maybe around Christmas time, Advent. This is a great passage uh, to look at in terms of the incarnation, looking forward to the birth of Christ. Um, we're not going to talk about most of it. It's actually going to be fairly uh, short this morning, but it's, we're not going to talk about Mary. We're not going to talk about the fact that she was very startled at this angel's appearance and the interactions that Gabriel and Mary had and what that means and Um, we're going to focus on just a couple of verses, uh, the angel's words in verses 31, 32, and 35. And so I'm going to read those again just to um, highlight for you what it is we'll be talking about this morning. Behold, he says in verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Holy Spirit, this is verse 35 now, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that, just really quickly, is, is um, there's a parallelism there that it's like saying the same thing uh, twice, like uh, in different ways, right? So the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's saying the same thing. Um, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The the experience of the Spirit, and the understanding of the Holy Spirit, is elusive. It really is elusive. In fact, he's an elusive character. He's kind of a, a mysterious figure. Uh, even in the Holy Scriptures, where we learn about him, there are there's there's a word in Hebrew that gets translated Spirit, and there's a word in Greek that's translated Spirit. Both of these words are also translated as wind or breath. So both those languages, Hebrew and Greek, have words. In Hebrew, the word is ruach. And in Greek, the word is pnevma. And those are a little bit onomatopoeic. Um, I'm not sure I pronounced that word right. But uh, that means that they kind of sound like what they're trying to communicate, right? So um, if you can imagine breath, wind, spirit... All these translations that we have in English coming from these two words in Hebrew and in Greek that we find in the scriptures. Um, Jesus himself does a play on these words in John's Gospel, in John chapter 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, and he he says that the wind blows where it wishes. And the word behind wind there is knevma, right? The Greek word for this wind or spirit or breath. The, uh, the wind, the pneuma, blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the pneuma, the spirit, right? The wind blows where it wants. That's, that's the way the spirit works, right? You don't know the source of it. You can't see it. It's confusing to you. You can see the effects of it. That's basically what Jesus is saying. And in uh, Ecclesiastes, in the Old Testament, there's a very similar um, idea here. It says, as you do not know the way the ruach, the spirit, comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So the work of God, the creator, is beyond us, and we don't understand the way that he works, just like we don't understand the spirit, the spirit of life who comes into the bones in the womb of a woman, right? That's, we just don't really understand. Um, So it's understandable that the Holy Spirit is difficult to understand. I mean, the Bible points it out. The Bible uses language and words almost deliberately, kind of mysteriously. We're just like, we can't really say exactly um, who the Spirit is or how he works in a lot of ways. The Trinity is not easy for us to conceptualize. There's been a lot of attempts throughout history to kind of figure out and codify and you know, make, make a, a great analogy, some kind of thing by which our feeble human minds can understand what it means that there's one God in three persons. Because what does that mean? One God in three persons. Each person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each person is irreducibly distinct from the other persons. So the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. Yet at the same time, each person is fully divine. Fully divine, and each person is the whole God. Each person is irreducibly distinct from each other. There's only one God, and each one is the whole God. (laughs) Like, how does that work? We don't know. Um, The Father is God. The Son is God. The Son is not less God than the Father is God. The Spirit is God. The Spirit is not less God than the Father or the Son. Uh, And each one of them is consubstantial and co-eternal. These are fancy words that we've come up with throughout the history of the church to try to figure out what it means that each of these persons is God. Yet there's only one God. Um, Mutual indwelling is another feature of the Trinity. Mutual indwelling. Jesus talks about the Father being in the Son and the Son being in the Father. Right? Um, perichoretic union is another fancy theological term for that. Mutual indwelling. It's no wonder that we wonder at the Holy Spirit, is what I'm saying. Right? These things are revealed to us at some level for our understanding, yet uh, they still surpass our understanding in a lot of ways. And in fact, I think that we call him the Holy Spirit at least partly, because that word holy means, like, bafflingly other. It just means so entirely other, so entirely distinct and set apart. Not our normal experience, not, not something that we normally would be able to process. Holy, is, uh, that's part of that word, and I think we call him holy because he is so other. He's the Holy Spirit, it's the way to express what is inexpressible about the Holy Spirit. Um, So Thomas uh, Thomas Wynandy has a book called The Father's Spirit of Sonship. It's a great book. There's a quote uh, from him on the front page of the bulletin. It says, Should not the contemplation of the mysteries of our faith be a delight, especially if the contemplation is that of the immeasurable and unsurpassable font of all the mysteries, the most holy trinity? Um, For Christians, even though it's a mystery, even though it's something that ultimately is beyond us, we know that God has revealed something about himself. He's revealed very true things about himself. Actually, there's quite a bit of data, quite a bit of information that we've got about God, and it's worth exploring, it's worth thinking about, it's worth reflecting on, contemplating, right? Sitting under the glory of this mysterious God who is uh, one God in three persons. It should be interesting to us, at the very least. So, talking about the Holy Spirit in Luke's Gospel, when the angel Gabriel visits the young woman Mary, we hear of the Holy Spirit, and then we get that that parallel. He's the power of the Most High. The Holy Spirit is the power of the Most High who will overshadow Mary. And that language is reminiscent of the cloud of God's glory, the cloud of God's presence overshadowing God's people Israel in the wilderness a long time before that we read about in the book of Exodus. Um, and, it's, and it's reminiscent of the language of the cloud of God's glory presence that descended upon the tabernacle and uh, later the temple. And what this language means to us as we look throughout the scriptures and see uh, this kind of language, we see that the spirit is the power of the most high. The spirit is God. Come to the meeting place between God and his people. There's a meeting place. It's the wherever the people are in the wilderness, or it's the tabernacle, or it's the temple. It's the meeting place between God and his people, and the Holy Spirit is God. Come to that meeting place between God and his people. So Ezekiel has a vision where he saw the Spirit glory cloud of God's presence, depart from the temple. He saw the Spirit depart from the temple, only to return later in the new temple. When Ezekiel's talking about this new temple that he's envisioning as a, a gift of revelation from God, he sees this new temple, and he sees the Spirit, glory cloud of God's presence come upon that new temple, and now, I think is where we see it in our text um, the spirit glory cloud comes upon Mary overshadows Mary not because Mary is the meeting place between God and and his people but as the new temple is created inside of her As, as Jesus Christ is conceived the new meeting place between God and his people conceived in her womb by the power of the most high this conception was a new creation. This was not like any other conception. The most analogous that it would be to is, is Adam being created from nothing. Uh, the closest analogy uh, is the, the miraculous creation of Adam himself. The son of God, the second person of the Trinity, before this conception, before, he, before Mary was discovered to be with child, Miraculously in her, her womb. Um, before that, from all eternity, the Son had his divine existence in the Godhead as the second person of the triune God. He was eternally begotten of the Father through the Spirit. And now, at this moment that we see in our passage, now at this moment, he had his human existence. He had his divine existence, and now he has his human existence. In, in an analogous way as he's created by the Holy Spirit. The eternally begotten Son of the Father now is the temporally created Son of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the incarnate Son, he had no earthly biological father. He had no earthly biological father, and the Spirit is not Jesus' Father. Right, this is not a sexual encounter that somehow God, through his Holy Spirit, has with Mary. Um, this is a creation. The Spirit is not the Father. This is a, a new creation. The divine Father was the creator of Jesus' new humanity. And through and, and, and that came through his power, through uh, his creative power, through the Holy Spirit. And just um, a quick... Uh, Something to point out for us as we will probably consider a few times over the course of this series how, um, how difficult it is for us to talk about the Holy Spirit and think rightly about the Holy Spirit, figure out who he is and how he's working. Mary was told that the Holy Spirit, that the power of the Most High would overshadow her, would come upon her, right, and that she would then conceive and, and have a child. She was told that, but apparently there was no mystical experience of that, no glorious light shining around her, no, you know, rising off of her bed, levitating in the middle of the night as the power of the Holy Spirit works upon her or whatever. Um, It just was this word from the angel. And maybe she didn't feel differently at all right when it happened, right? Um, Hard to detect. That is normal for us. Even in the most extreme, supreme case of the Spirit's work in 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 the Holy Scriptures, is the conception of Jesus Christ himself in the womb of a virgin. And there's nothing to notice. There's, there's nothing to point to, except for the angel's words to her. Nothing was felt. The wind blows where it wishes, and you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. You can see the effects of it. But you didn't notice it at the time. right? So it's hard for us, it's very hard for us, to, to see, to perceive, and to experience and to understand our experience of the Holy Spirit. Um, But what we see in the life of Jesus Christ, beginning here with the conception by the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life with a capital L. Capital L life. The Holy Spirit is the gift of the Father that brings forth life. The life that he brings forth supremely is the Son of God. The life that the Spirit brings forth is the Son, the incarnate Son is our life. It says that a couple times in the Scriptures. This is stuff just kind of for our contemplation, right? For for meditation. Um, the, the the incarnate Son of God is our life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. John says in in uh, chapter fourteen and. 1 John 1, uh, we've seen him who is the eternal life from God. We've seen him. He's been made manifest to us. The one who is our life, right? So the Son of God is our life, and the Holy Spirit gives us Jesus. He's the giver of life because he gives us Jesus. Because he gives us the Son of God incarnate. That's what he's doing in this passage. In the conception of Jesus Christ He is giving us life because he gives us Jesus. He gave Jesus to the world in his conception. It's the beginning of the new creation. The beginning of the new creation. Jesus is unique because of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was at his baptism. Uh, The Spirit was the lavishing of the Father's love, his approving love upon Jesus As he pledged solidarity with sinners, as he was united to them in his baptism, as all the sinners were baptized, and then Jesus also was baptized with them, this is when God the Father said, this is the Son that I love, and he pours out his Holy Spirit on him at the waters of his baptism. So the the Spirit descended upon Jesus at the waters of his baptism like a fluttering dove, Hovering over God's new creation, just as he had hovered over the face of the waters in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, which we read in our Old Testament reading. The Spirit was there, hovering over the face of the waters at the formation of the creation, and in the same way the Spirit descended upon Jesus, the new creation, in the waters of his baptism. So there's a lot of parallel images For us to understand that the Holy Spirit is the Father's approving love, hovering over his new creation, Jesus Christ. So then, immediately, the scriptures say the Spirit led Jesus, our champion. We're talking a lot about Jesus here. It makes sense because of who the Spirit is. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But the Spirit led Jesus, our champion, to recapitulate our battle with the devil. Recapitulate is a word that means um, it means rehead. It means kind of do over, right? So we failed in our battle with the devil, and therefore we've been enslaved to the devil, and in fact called the sons of the devil in the Scriptures, because we failed, because he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, and they fell to that temptation, and they sinned, and they, they took sides with the devil against God himself. But the Spirit led Jesus as our champion, The one who would fight our battle on our behalf. To go out into the wilderness for 40 days without food. To be tempted by the devil. But this time he would be victorious. The new creation. The new man would be victorious over the devil as our champion. And the spirit was the one who led him to it. The spirit anointed Jesus in the next chapter. If you're just going through Luke's gospel, this is uh, you know, Luke 4. The Spirit anointed Jesus to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. When Jesus went around proclaiming the news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, it was because the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him to preach the gospel. The Spirit was the one through whom Jesus rejoiced in prayer to the Father. When Jesus was praying to the Father, and it was one of these times it was recorded in Luke's gospel, chapter 10. He was in the Spirit rejoicing in prayer to his Father. It was by the Spirit of God that Jesus cast out demons. It was in the Holy Spirit that Jesus offered himself up to his Father as a sacrifice for our sins. This was Hebrews 9. It's by the eternal Spirit he offered himself up to God. And it was by the power of the Most High, by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was raised from the dead. We see in Romans chapter 1. So from beginning to end and beyond, in the life of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the one who is our life from God, the Holy Spirit is his constant companion. He's constantly at work in and through Jesus. So this is what uh, Paul says in Titus chapter 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, and he's talking about the gospel, the, the story of Jesus Christ, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our savior appeared he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us richly through jesus christ our savior he's given us life as he's given us his spirit as he's been as he's come to us in and through the the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. It's because of the Holy Spirit's work upon the incarnate Son, like at at his conception, upon him, and then through him, throughout his life and through his ministry, because of the Spirit's work, that Jesus is life to us. Because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Son of God, is life to us. Jesus is life to us by being the new creation for us. The new creation by the power of the Spirit, by the power of the Most High. His new humanity is ours as we are in union with Him through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So, that Spirit, the wind, the breath of God that made the first Adam a living being, this is language from 1 Corinthians 15. The first Adam was a living being because of the breath of God that was breathed into him at his creation. That breath that made the last Adam, Jesus Christ, a life-giving spirit, that breath is the breath that Jesus breathed out upon his disciples. We'll talk about this more in the following week. we um, talk about Pentecost. But That breath is the breath that Jesus breathed out upon his disciples in John chapter 20 after his resurrection. He breathed upon his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The breath of God, the life-giving, creative, new creation power of God himself has been breathed out upon us, giving us Jesus' own life so that we may live on his behalf in this world Job said that the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life so God at work through the person of the Holy Spirit this is what he says, he says Jesus God the Father through the power of his Holy Spirit says Jesus for the life of the world so a spirit-filled church and you can imagine a lot of different ways in which people would lay claim churches would lay claim to that title to that concept of being we are we are a spirit-filled church you can imagine different ways that they might mean that but a spirit-filled church will also say Jesus for the life of the world the life-giving breath of Christ is in our lungs and on our lips as a gift of God's grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, you, um, you in, uh, and, and the Trinity, you, you one God in three persons. You are confusing to us in a lot of ways, um, we can say some good words about you and maybe not fully understand what it is we're saying. We can say your own words after you, the words that you've given us in scriptures, and uh, and not fully understand what we're saying. And we are thankful that our salvation is not dependent on our understanding of exactly who you are and how you work in the world and in our lives. But, um, but we do know that our salvation is... Uh, Inextricably linked to our relational knowledge of you and you have given yourself to us you've given life to us through Jesus you've given life to us through your Holy Spirit and so we pray that you would make us attentive to the way that your scriptures speak of your son and your spirit help us to understand uh, more deeply who you are and how you work in our lives so that even when um these ways are largely undetectable to us, uh, maybe not as felt as we think they should be or as we wish they could be, that your Spirit's presence and work in our lives would be believed, that they would be understood to some level, that we would have real relationship with you through your Son because of your Spirit. We pray these things not just for our own sake, not just for our relationship with you, but... um, but because you've given your Son for the life of the world by your Spirit, and you've given us breath to speak of your Son for the life of the world. We pray that you would help us to know what to say about Jesus and about your Holy Spirit, about who you are and what you've done for us, that you would help us to to speak life to those around us for the, the sake of the world that you sent your Son for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.